Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today it is an honor and a privilege to speak with Jeremy Seifert. Jeremy is a filmmaker, and he has produced an incredibly wonderful film about Americans' waste habits, food waste in particular, called Dive, and he is also working on a new film about GMOs, which is as yet untitled, but it's going to be terrific. Jeremy, welcome. Thanks for having me. How did you get into filmmaking? Well, I made Dive. That's how I got into filmmaking. I didn't go to film school And I was talking about making a documentary, I guess talking enough about it that my wife sort of chided me and said, well, you know, you better make something see if you're any good at it. So I decided to make Dive, which enabled me to work all day, have a family, go to band practice, and then when everybody went to sleep, I could start work on the film. And so I had to teach myself kind of all aspects of filmmaking and and editing I mean, I make that sound kind of prestigious, but I just went out with a camera and, and pushed record and filmed some stuff and then uh, brought it home in Final Cut and started piecing it together. Well, it's a terrific film about America's food waste. In fact, the, the full title is Dive, Living Off America's Waste. And you start out by telling the audience just how much food we waste, and then you start noticing what is put in dumpsters from grocery stores, and that Edible, completely edible, safe food is thrown away every day while close to a billion people go hungry on the planet. What were your startling revelations as you were making that film? You know, the first revelation was going to the dumpster for the first time. You know, some friends were visiting from out of town. This was years back, and they showed up at my house on a Sunday morning with these bags and bags of food and some of it was trash, some of it was rotting, a lot of it was edible, and I had never thought about dumpster diving or considered it, especially for food. And they said, what? You didn't know? You can go jump in the dumpster and get amazing food behind some grocery stores? And so a few nights later, I went with some friends, and, and seeing the amount of food and really good food, food beyond what we could really afford at the time, really was my first sort of awakening. And then I think the biggest moment for me, though, was just before I started making the film, I went to Uganda as an assistant on another film project, and I was there mostly in the slums in and around Kampala and in the internally displaced persons camps in the north. These are IDP camps where the Acholi people were pushed into them because of the Lord's Resistance Army in this 18-year-long conflict. They've since been released. But when I was there, the the children, many of the children were suffering from severe malnutrition. And there was one little boy in particular, and he looked about the same size as my son, Finn. And I found his mom, and I told her I had a son, and he was two years old. And I said, how old is your son? And she said, he's five years old. Mm -hmm. And this is all through a translator. And... It, really, it was my moment in Uganda that my heart was just broken. Um, it was the, the the pain of the reality finally sunk in. And, and you know, he was stunted in growth from not having enough food. And then I came back home, 
And without even thinking about it, like three or four days after returning, I hopped in my car at 12.30 at night and went dumpster diving and pulled $400 of food out of a trash can. And it was in that moment where those two worlds so collided experientially, not just reading about them in a book or an article or seeing in a movie or something, but, you know, living it myself that I was really filled with a sense of outrage that these two realities coexist and are in so many ways indirectly and directly related, that that was a lot of the energy and passion that went into making the film. Well, on the website for divethefilm.com, there are some facts about food waste that are startling, such as every year in America we throw away 96 billion pounds of food. I have some statistics from the National Institutes of Health that in the United States it's 1,400 calories per day per person. And I think this is going to segue very nicely into the new film that you're producing, is that the message that American farmers get consistently is, we have to produce more. We have to produce more to feed the world. And yet, as you discovered, we've got all this food. We're throwing away all this food. So maybe if we didn't waste so much, we wouldn't have to produce as much more. And then we've got these big agribusiness companies just waiting in the wings with all of these miraculous products that are basically void of any validity promising to give higher yields, easy high yields. And then we've got the the whole GMO story. Yeah. I never intended to make another film on food and thought it was probably a a bad choice as a filmmaker to do another film on food. But I I really couldn't help myself. And the relationship from one to the other is is pretty amazing. And you're right. we, We have almost twice as much food as we need in this country, and that's why we throw away about half of our food. And yet there are upwards of 45 million people on food stamps and close to 11 million people actually suffering from hunger. And worldwide, the world currently produces enough food for approximately 9 billion people. Hmm. Uh, And yet a billion are going hungry. So it's not an issue at this point. It's not an issue of producing enough. It's an issue of democracy and, and justice and equal distribution. And I think Yeah, one of the big lies of the biotech world and of GMOs or genetically engineered food is that there are higher yields. And yet, a seven-year study out of the University of Kansas, I believe it was out of the University of Kansas, showed that the yields aren't higher. And in many cases, there's a yield drag and the yield is lower in genetically modified crops. And that's one of their biggest platforms they stand on. And the guilt trip that they use to, to get people to buy into it. Hey, don't you care about hungry people? Don't you care about this this little child in this faraway land? And don't you want to feed that person? So this is how we do it. This is how we have to do it. This is the only way to do it, which is a complete lie. Mm-hmm. So you then heard some news that after the earthquake in Haiti, the peasants there were marching in the streets and burning the seeds that had been donated to them by Monsanto. So here we have a population that is in dire need of food that has just experienced a horrific catastrophe. They're given seeds, and these largely uneducated people have enough sense to say, no thanks. Is that what inspired the new film, too? 
Yeah, you know, that was the beginning of this film. I, I saw this tiny little article that said that the peasant movement of Papai, led by Chavon Jean-Baptiste, marched in the streets 10,000 strong and said, down with Monsanto. And they said, if you give us these seeds, we will burn them. And it just so caught my imagination. And it, it also kind of puzzled me because I, I hadn't really spent much time learning about GMOs like most Americans. I hardly knew what it was. And I thought, you know, why would poor hungry farmers burn seeds? What is at stake for them? And so that was the first thing I did for the film. I went down to Haiti. I contacted the, the peasant movement of Papai and got permission to come down there. And Siobhan Jean-Baptiste spent about six days with us at this little organic farm and training center in Papai. And we just spent a lot of time walking around and talking to people and talking to Siobhan and really listening to their stories and, and trying to understand what is at stake for them. Well, how did the people in Haiti know not to accept those seeds? Well, Siobhan Jean-Baptiste is a, an amazing man. He's highly educated he is the regional leader for La Via Campesina, the yes. international peasant movement. So he's very tied in. He knows what's going on. He knows what Monsanto has been up to around the world. And they knew that even though the seeds Monsanto gave weren't genetically engineered corn seeds, they were hybrid corn, but this is the stepping stone to GMOs. It's also the stepping stone to become enslaved because Hybrid seeds also don't save uh, mm -hmm. like open-pollinated seeds, so they would have to come back to Monsanto the following year and say, hey, uh, we need these seeds again, and, and then they'd have to buy them. And Monsanto would say, hey, these actually perform better with all of these inputs and this Roundup herbicide. And then what happens is that the peasants aren't, and I say peasants, I mean really they're beautiful, amazing rural farmers. They lose their own indigenous native seeds, because if they aren't developing them, planting them, and saving them, they'll disappear. Like many of the seeds in the United States, upwards of 80 to 90 percent of our crop biodiversity is gone. It's gone forever, because mm -hmm. we have become more and more fixated on large uh, monoculture and this industrial agriculture cultural model of, of producing food. And it, that frightens me so much because when I look at the articles about biodiversity, what I learn is that biodiversity is what is going to sustain our health and our planet. And the thought of losing our heritage with our seeds is quite alarming, and I wish more people shared that thought. Yeah, it's really what has struck my imagination as well with this project. I don't want to focus too much on the negative, which would be, you know, Monsatan and GMOs and, and all that, I want to also focus on uh, the beauty and the good and the wonder and mystery of the life around us. And a lot of that is contained within seeds. And they are so amazing and wonderful. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to go to Svalbard Global Seed Bank with Carrie Fowler, which we did in early October, and just listen to the, this amazing seed saver and why he's doing what he's doing, and listening to him talk about biodiversity and how it is within biodiversity and the thousands of different types of wheat and the thousands of different types of apples that we find 
within that diversity, the drought tolerance and the increase, you know, vitamin A and these different minerals and vitamins that we need. And that's how you make better food for people. And that's how we move forward, not through this one-trick pony of taking a gene from a completely different organism and jamming it into another one to really all that the biotech industry has given us is tolerance to their own herbicide Roundup, which they sell along with it. So it's industry for industry's sake, so they can sell more chemicals. And then they've given us corn and cotton that produces Bt toxin. Yeah. That's all they've done. They haven't increased yield. They haven't given us more nutrition. They haven't given us drought tolerance. None of this. Well, they have a marvelous propaganda campaign that goes along with those products. And unfortunately, I think if only people would stop and think critically about these messages and who really benefits at the end of the day, maybe we would start to see. But it's an insidious propaganda and it concerns me very much. I should just let our listeners know very quickly that we are speaking with Jeremy Seifert. He is a brilliant filmmaker. I first became aware of his work when I saw his film Dive about how America has so much food waste in face of so much hunger. And now he is working on a new film. It's yet untitled, but it is about GMOs. And it is a film project that will look at the treasures of our seeds and the dangers of losing our biodiversity. Well, Jeremy, talk to me a little bit more about your experience in Norway and this global seed bank. Are the seeds that are being collected there, will they be viable indefinitely? No, and no seed is. So there's some controversy around the Svalbard Global Seed Bank as well, and I kind of wanted to go to look more into that and see if those claims were true or false and see what kind of person Kerry Fowler is. And he is really a man of integrity and vision and a very generous soul. And part of it was the funding for the place. And, you know, we, we talked about that. And all of the money for the actual seed vault and where it is on the island of Svalbard, 800 kilometers south of the North Pole, was funded by the Norwegian government. And some people have said, oh, Monsanto, you know, is funding this and other people. Kerry said they have received no money from the likes of Monsanto. They did get a big grant from the Bill Gates Foundation, and if you know your listeners have followed some of the stories around GMOs, they'll know that Gates is heavily involved in, in Africa pushing GMOs, and he's bought shares, the foundation has bought shares from Monsanto. So that was a big controversy, but they got that grant before the seed vault was even built, and it's got no strings attached, and they use that money through the Global Crop Diversity Trust to do what they're doing. Now, who knows what the motivation is when these foundations or companies give money to something like this. It's maybe to you know, divert attention or to make themselves look good, but either way you put it, it seems to me so far that that money is being used to fulfill Kerry's vision of backing up the seeds of the world. So that's what the seed vault is literally, it's like a bank. I mean, it's a backup copy of a country's biodiversity of seeds. So the reason he wanted to do this, because as he traveled the world and wrote his book, Shattered, he saw that so many seeds are lost because of negligence due to you know improper care of the seeds, but also due to economic reasons of not having the proper facilities and money to maintain seed collections. 
He saw loss through fire, through war, like uh, when we went into Iraq, somehow, who knows how, but their largest amazing seed bank was destroyed and all that diversity lost. So Kerry saw this happening around the world, and he wanted to create a place where at least these uh, seed collections from around the world could give a backup copy of their seeds so that, God forbid, something terrible happens, they'd have that copy. So it's not an end-all. It's not actually even that practical because the seeds do have to be replenished, and they keep track of all that because certain seeds last longer than others. But they've provided a space, and there's been money provided for a lot of the, the shipping and moving of the seeds to have this backup copy. And this is referred to as XC2 seed saving. So it's outside the situation or outside the area where the seeds are from. Really, where most of the efforts need to be placed are on NC2 seed saving. That is seed saving within a community um, because that's where the seeds are saved and then they're planted in the ground and grown again and saved and shared. And that's where real strength and resilience to climate change comes from. That's where life happens. I mean, seeds are to be planted and saved. So it's in C2 seed saving and smaller seed saving communities. Um, that's where the focus and energy needs to be. But I, I think Kerry has an amazing big heart and is doing something else that's also necessary. Mm-hmm. In talking about destroying someone's seed bank, the first thing that came into my mind was, boy, talk about a crime against humanity. Mm-hmm. And then the flip side of your message about the importance of saving seeds in light of everything that's happening in our climate, to me that's the flip side of that, which is the message of hope. And that's why I think the film that you're making right now is one of the most important films for our society of today. And before I forget, I do want to let our listeners know that if they're so inclined and they want to go to the website, which is rich, whether you've got a trailer, you've got some great background information, it's simply gmofilm.com. That's gmofilm.com. Did I neglect to say what a GMO was? Do we want to sort of just clarify that? Sure. Uh, Do you want to clarify that, or do you want me to have a stab at it? Well, maybe we can both work on it. The way I describe it to people is that a GMO is a genetically modified organism or genetically engineered seed where genetic information is inserted kind of in a crapshoot kind of way is what I've been told by some scientists in the know, so that you've got this new genetic material. But most of the GMO crops within the United States are the corn, the soybeans, the sugar beets. You go through these on your film site. Many of them either produce a pesticide within each cell of the plant or they are bred to be resistant to the application of herbicides, mainly Roundup or glyphosate. What would you like to add to that? That was pretty good. Wow. (laughs) It's actually a really difficult thing to understand, and I feel like I hardly understand it. But I think... The thing to understand, and what I've been told when we just interviewed, like a scientist from the Pesticide Action Network, Marsha Ishi Eitman. She's terrific. And some others, is that, okay, culturally now we are using this term GMO, but really it's not as great of a term because uh, genetically modified, every almost every plant, especially food plant, has been modified, meaning that we humans have gotten involved and 
selected the best ones and saved those over here or through natural breeding have taken this apple and this apple and put them together for better flavor and better drought resistance or this or that. So, you know, we have modified nature with nature in the way that nature works. So, you know, there's people out there saying that really you should be saying genetically engineered because that's what's happened with these particular crops that are patented by Monsanto, Dow Chemical, Syngenta. That's right. And that's exactly what you said. It's taking a gene from one organism and another gene from a separate one, like a gene from a fish and a gene from a tomato, and you insert that fish gene into the tomato so that it has longer shelf life. And this is based upon really bad science, and a science that doesn't really understand or appreciate or acknowledge true ecology and true interconnectedness of of life and how these uh, genes all work together and affect one another. You can't just jam one in there and get one trait. Other things happen, new proteins are formed, and things can grow out of control and beyond the original intent, and that's what's happened in so many cases uh, these failed attempts to create a new product. You know, I remember interviewing Don Huber many months ago, and he left me with a message that has really stuck, and that is, you can't change one thing without changing something else. Mm. And as a society, you know, we like to see things in black and white, but really it's all of these shades of gray and the idea that, when especially when it comes to our children, should we not be taking the precautionary approach to say, if there could be some harm, let's not go there until we can be sure that we won't be harming future generations. Yeah. And that, that as a father of three, you know, when I first became interested in this film, it was because of Haiti and what they were doing. When I came back and I started filming more and, and researching more, my real passion became, as a father with my children, realizing that almost all the food surrounding me and in the grocery store and in on the, the restaurants and taco stands and everything was produced with genetically engineered crops. You know, the meat and the dairy, it's all animals being fed, genetically engineered or modified corn and soy. And it's in 70 to 80% of all highly processed foods. And just feeling that it was inescapable, and yet the science is still out on it, whether or not there are serious health risks. And we already know that there are serious environmental risks because of contamination and gene flow. But once you release it into the environment, it doesn't just stay in that one plant. Corn is very promiscuous, so you have organic corn a mile away. Well, the genetically engineered corn could pollinate that, and that organic corn whatever heirloom variety it may have been, is no longer that. It's been changed and altered, like you said, to produce its own pesticide, this genetically engineered BT toxin, which is literally turned on in the in sort of on position 24 hours a day, which is why we now have what, you know, quote-unquote super pests and then super weeds come from overuse of glyphosate uh, Roundup. Mm-hmm. And then what we do is we add another resistant trait to a more harmful pesticide or herbicide, and that would be the 2,4-D trait. Yeah. Yeah, let's take Agent Orange and spray it 
all over the countryside (laughs) where our children should be able to, you know, run and play and be free. I I was just reading uh, Wendell Berry's The Unsettling of America, Mm -hmm. which is written in the 70s, but it's like it was written yesterday because it so pertains to everything. And he's so eloquent and deep in his approach to looking at it. But there was this one paragraph where he was essentially talking about some futuristic model of agriculture, which is closer to where we are now, but all the the, the chemicals and the pesticides, and he, and he said something like, there's no singing and dancing in those fields. You know, because that's what we used to be able to, on a farm, or if you go visit an organic farm, like we went to Seed Savers Exchange in Decorah, Iowa, or I've been to some other ones, you can run and play and let your kids loose, and it's beautiful and amazing, but on these giant fields of pesticide-producing corn that are doused with more herbicides, it's frightening. It's eerily quiet, isn't it? Yeah. There's a lot of buzzing missing from native pollinators and wildlife, and we run the risk of losing that as well. Well, you know, we just have a couple of minutes, and I want to make sure you have a chance to let our listeners know anything that I may have neglected to ask. I would just say that, you know, we've been working on this film for about, 10 months now, and I think we're, we've shot about 65% of it, so we still have some more filming to do, and we have a lot more money to raise. We've probably raised about a fifth of the budget, so we've got, we need all the help we can get, and uh, all the support we can get, and we hope to have this thing wrapped up by uh, sometime summer of 2012. What do you hope to accomplish with this film? Wow. You know, that's such a hard question to answer. I really I really want people to know that GMOs exist and that they're eating them and then so that they can actually then make a decision about whether or not they want to and whether or not, you know, they should fight for the right to know and that GMOs should be labeled. That's on the one hand I want that I want wakefulness and then hopefully inspiration to action. I think if there is wakefulness, people have to act because they'll see what's happening and and we we won't stand for it. But beyond that, I think on the the positive side or the hopeful side, I really want people to fall in love with seeds and the beauty uh, of the life around us and that we need to grow with it and protect it and see that we are a part of it and not lords over it in some paradigm of uh, power and domination, but we need to live together with the world around us. Jeremy, thank you so much for being my guest today, and thank you for making another incredible film, or what certainly promises to be. I want to make sure our listeners have that website again. It's simply gmofilm.com, and you can learn about the project. You can help fund it. It's probably the most worthwhile project I'm aware of happening this year. I want to let our listeners know that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you so much. We've been speaking with Jeremy Seifert. He is a brilliant young filmmaker. The new film is not yet titled, but we can learn more about it at gmofilm.com. Thank you again for your work, Jeremy. Thanks so much for having me. 